This is Taste for Tenacity, show number 34. Welcome to the show that answers the question that plagues students and professionals alike. What should I do with my life? Determine your greatness. Follow me through the pathway of more success. Each week, we interview entrepreneurs. Invest in things that you understand. Professionals. It's just believing in yourself and your abilities. And artists that have followed their pull. You can't be scared to push the envelope. This is what we need from Ben Trella and Otai Media. This is Taste for Tenacity. What is going on, everybody? My name is Ben Trella, and this is Taste for Tenacity. This week on the show, we hear from Seema Gururaj. Uh, Seema is an award-winning social entrepreneur whose social impact portfolio includes significant contributions in gender equity, urbanization, and education. She is currently the CEO and founder of a Silicon Valley-based, mission-based startup, that's a mouthful, Square Circle, and it does also have a presence in India. Prior to starting Square Circle, Seema reported to the office of the CTO at a Fortune 100 company and designed gender equity strategies, provided thought leadership, and influenced organizational change to empower women. Before that, she also served at the Anita Borg Institute and was the director of the Grace Hopper Celebration of Women in Computing. She's been featured on TV, podcasts, publications, and as a speaker. And she's also the co-author of a recently published book titled Amplify, Expert Insights on Growing Your Presence, Influence, and Recognition in the Tech Industry. Seema, that is a laundry list of accomplishments. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, Ben. So I, I found sort of in, in prepping for the show that you at some point were a big fan of reality TV. Uh, have you gone on a reality TV binge as of late? And what has been your, uh, your latest go-to show? Okay, yeah. So my favorite show of all time is Amazing Race. Okay. Um, hmm. I have had fantasies about going on the show. But <laughs> multiple things that I need to do. First of all, physical fitness. And then I think there are certain criteria. You've got to be a citizen, whatever, whatever. So, but, you know, so far, I'm, I'm very happy sitting on my couch and enjoying people <laughs> standing around the country. Taking it in secondhand. <laughs> yeah, so that's my all-time favorite. Gotcha. Well, good, good to know. So that, uh, that travel bug might, might pop up here or there. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, let's sort of wind the clock back to around age 18-ish. Mm. Uh, so you probably would have been finishing up high school or primary school. What, what were you thinking? Sort of what had your life looked like up until that point? And what was going through your head uh, in regards to like college versus going straight into a career? Well, um, this is time travel for sure. Um, yeah, so at 18, I was in India. So I grew up actually partly in Kuwait. And then we moved to India when I was in when I was about seventh grade or so. So at 18, I was at the threshold of probably figuring out what my undergraduate would be in. Okay. And here's the thing, Ben, you know, I mean, growing up in India, it's sort of very simple. Um, you know, socioeconomically, we are sort of trained to to, to pick fields that serve us and that help us, you know, have a comfortable life as an adult. Hmm. So having said that, our choices were predominantly either you get into engineering or doctor or become a doctor, right? Hmm. Um, and this was in the 90s. Now, of course, it's much better. There's a wider scope of things where people can actually have thriving careers. Hmm. Given that, it was almost a, a process of elimination. So if you're not that great and if you didn't have an aptitude of becoming a doctor, you just by default become an engineer. <laughs> in a way, sort of my my um, trajectory was predetermined. It was written. I, I knew that. And my dad was an engineer. So that, that was sort of, I knew I was going to do that. For me, I think where the decision point was, I really wanted to be an architect. I felt I was a very visual person. So that resonated very well with me. And um, I, I had this choice when I went into undergrad to either get into architecture or computer science. And I remember my dad sitting down with me and um, he is in the field. So he's a structural engineer and, you know, he knows architect, whatever, right? He was in that yeah. space. 
And he sat me down and he said, you know what, Seema, I think for you, given the prospects of this budding field called computer science, I think that's what you should go for. Hmm. Um, and so I listened to my dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, that's, that's sort of, that I, um, you know, I went into computer science undergraduate. Um, and I'm glad I listened to him because there was one course called engineering drawing where you're sort of, uh, you have to visualize everything in 3D and put it there. And um, I just scraped through. So I was like, <laughs> that was my career. Oh my God, I would have had so many issues. So I'm glad I listened to my dad. Yeah, so. so yeah, so. It was a fun time. It was a time of choices. It was a time of possibilities for me. So yeah, I look back fondly at that time. Yeah. So you said, you know, sort of the, the predominant path was in a way a path of stability. It was either you're going to be a doctor or you're going to be an engineer. Either way, those are two pretty stable career paths to say the least. And, and you also kind of grew up in Kuwait and in India and were kind of moving around. So how do you think having sort of not necessarily a turbulent, but a, a constantly shifting you know, childhood and upbringing impacted your decision to really double down on a very, very stable career path? Um, that's a great question. I think um, uh, that while the moving helped shape my personality, um, I don't think that necessarily influenced my career choice. Uh, because like I said, at that point in time, I saw myself in India. I, I didn't mm -hmm. see myself in the U.S. as yet. I had that ambition somewhere, but it wasn't that strong. So I had to do what I needed to do in order to sort of survive and thrive in India. And that seemed the right choice. Hmm. But the move and what the sort of perspective, growing up in different perspectives gave me was this um, ability to sort of adapt and blend myself in any surrounding. So even now, you put me, throw me in any part of the world and I can probably survive. And not just survive, perhaps thrive even. Yeah. So I think that's what that gave me more than a career direction. It exposed you to a couple different cultures very early on so you could understand how to yeah. recognize the differences. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay, so you, you choose to go this computer science and computer engineering path, um, which subset of engineering worked out in your favor. Thankfully, not architecture or anything like that because that didn't fit for you. What did you, what was sort of going through your head uh, throughout college? What was your college experience like? Were you still committed to that engineering path or did you think you wanted to go somewhere else? You know, I think I didn't know any better. Um, so in India, uh, you don't get exposed to working in an organization till probably the last year of your, mm. of your curriculum. So you're really, it's literally, I think I would compare it to high school here. Okay. So, and I'm a day scholar, meaning that literally I would just go to college in the morning, um, do the coursework, come back home um, <laughs> and repeat and rinse for four years. So that's really how, how the education system worked in India. So it was only, I think, towards the end when we had to do an internship that I actually went into an organization and figured out, okay, I've been learning all these things. Is it really valid? Does it even matter? Yeah. Um, and, and um, you know, it was a mixed experience to say the, the least because, yes, there's the coding piece that mattered, right? Yeah. But we were never taught how to sort of, um, you know, collaborate effectively. We were sort of like left in the weeds to figure it out. Hmm. and um, guidance and, you know, and the different um, areas that you could go into if you did, uh, 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 you know, computer science or computer engineering. It wasn't that clear. Um, so I think we graduated knowing that we would just get a job somewhere and, uh, you know, just figure it out yeah. uh, as we went, as we went uh, through, but there was no, like, um, I know exactly this is what I want to do. Once I got into a company, it was more like, oh, I want to get into the Googles or the Facebooks. Uh, they didn't exist at that time, but, but you know what I mean? You yeah. Know, the, I want to get into that company. What I do there, I honestly really don't care. <laughs> okay, that's a checkbox. I got the salary. I got the, you know, I got what I wanted, which was a, which was a stability. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, it was hard to be ambitious for a particular role at that point 
besides being ambitious to get into a particular company. You know what I mean? There's yes. More, more like that for us there. Yeah. So it was more focused on finding the big name companies and, and finding your way into them rather than knowing what exactly you wanted to do. Because like you said, you didn't really get to see that until you were a senior in college. Uh, how do you think that would have been different had you had an internship before that final year or had some more experience before you ultimately finished your degree and jumped out into the real world? Yeah, that's a good question. I wonder. Um, I think that exposure would have certainly given us ideas about where I thought I'm, my strengths might lie, my interests might lie. Um, but I think, uh, you know, when you start your career, you're often, you know, you don't have that choice. You have to do what the company wants you to do. And traditionally, there's a two, three year period where, where you sort of, you're tested out, right? And then you probably have the ability to figure out um, and to go after the role that you want. So I think, uh, you know, it would have certainly helped, I feel, um, in, in terms of exposure. But I don't know what I could have done because of that. Because it's a very regimented two, three year, almost like a training that they do for people entering, um, you know, the workforce. Got it. Um, so, yeah. Okay, so so you're now in that first internship. Uh, what were you doing at that new company? What was that experience like compared to all of the schooling and all sort of the more regimented training that you had done up to that point? Wow. Um, yeah, so I actually had the opportunity to work at a, uh, at a government uh, laboratory that made um, aeronautics hmm. for India. So they, uh, they were working on the first supercomputer. They had the only supercomputer in India. And wow. that was sort of the project that I was working on. Wow. Um, I think it was so exciting, Ben. I can't tell you. you know, when, when we first learned that was a project which we got placed in, it was super exciting. And um, I, remember, I remember going in with that excitement, but then nobody sort of like sat and taught us anything. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> about okay this is it this is the thing so immediately we were put in front of a terminal and we were you know the code base showed up and we were like okay now go start coding and I think we spent about two weeks figuring out what exactly are we coding what is this thing yeah and we didn't um and then we started wisening up and started you know being proactive and going and asking people questions, which was something I think even culturally that that's sort of um, not natural. That doesn't come natural, naturally to us. Hmm. But anyway, we figured it out. And um, at the end of it, we demonstrated that to our college and they were pretty thrilled with what we had done. And, um, you know, it was, an, it was an atypical experience because this was not a corporate organization. This was a government lab. So the way they operate and the way they, uh, they function is quite different from corporate um, organizations. But they were doing the cutting, cutting, cutting edge stuff in terms of research. So it was more like a research lab experience. Wow. Yeah. And, and so you're, you're thrown now into a lab environment. You're given essentially a terminal and some just code right in front of you. <laughs> And, and so it took you, you said a couple of weeks to sort of figure out, okay, we need to be more proactive. What really struck in your mind that, that said, okay, they're not going to tell us. So now we need to go ask, you know, because it's like you said, not something you had typically done. How did that feel just from, you know, the, the personal side trying to ask, what do we do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, desperation <laughs> like um in three months you're supposed to show something and demo something to your college mm -hmm. and two weeks three weeks have passed and this attitude that we had of expecting people to come and you know like call you know like high school teachers everything um it was not working we were seeing that it was not working and we were being very ginger because oh this person is on a break let's not trouble them they look very you know busy let's not let's not you know you know trouble them yeah but i think at the end of it it's the deadline of submitting something <laughs> was, was eventually the driver it's like you know we are here to learn i think that was one important switch right 
And also, you know, what's the worst they can say? They can say, you know, well, I don't know, or you go talk to that person. Mm -hmm. And that's a risk we should take. Um, and we should, at the end of it, show our college that we did, we made the best of the situation. So I think that was, that was what drove us to change strategies and say, this is not working. Yeah. Um, and yes, we can choose to waste the whole three months just sitting there staring and writing comments and yeah. pretending like we wrote code, <laughs> <laughs> which is very tempting. Yeah. But um, no, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, there was a drive to actually learn something and uh, and show something at the end of it. That competitive spirit, like our team has to beat the others who are doing all these amazing stuff at all these companies. Let's show them what we got sitting in a research lab, right? So I think that was sort of totally. the <laughs> yeah, totally different perspective from what they were experiencing. Yeah. So now you're back at school, finishing up your final year of, of university. What was your game plan for afterward? I know you said at, at the start of school, you weren't really interested you know, in, in moving to the United States. Maybe that was an ambition for later on. Did that start to sort of fester at this point? Or what came next after, your, after graduation? Yeah, absolutely. It was very clear for me that um, I wanted to come here, come to the United States and do my master's. So the last year was all about preparing for that, you know, writing uh, the necessary uh, um, exams and things yeah. like that um, in preparation for that. So, yeah, I think by then I'd sort of realized that, you know, I, I really... Um, I really want to learn computer science. You know, I really, while I felt like I had a lot of theoretical knowledge about what computer science was, um, and, and, you know, the way the Indian education system works is very different. It's a lot of, um, there was not much of application of what you learn. So I had a lot of theoretical knowledge, but I just didn't feel like I knew computer science. So there was a part of me that was hungry to understand, okay, why am I learning bubble sort? Why am I learning all these algorithms? Like, it's not making any sense. I just learn it and I reproduce it. And then I get my scores and I move on to the next, um, you know, year or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think that became a burning hunger for me. And that's when I decided I really want to you know, study abroad and, and pursue this, this path and figure, figure out more about computer science. Hmm. Okay, so now you're getting ready to, to come to the States and do your master's. Yeah. And, and really, it seems like what drew you to doing a master's degree was just getting the actual application and having a deeper understanding of what you had you know, learned in theory. Yeah. What, how, how different was your master's from your, your bachelor's degree and, uh, and from all of the schooling you had experienced up until then? Oh, my God. It was like a 180. <laughs> <laughs> I finally learned computer science, I think, when I did my master's. So I came here and I came to Syracuse. So I went from this tropical climate to the snowy place in New York. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> Not even experience it itself, but um, yeah, from from an intellectual perspective, I think that was the first time I understood the um, understood what computer science meant. I understood what it was to think independently, to explore um, and research areas of interest um, that within computer science. So I think I just thrived. Like I mean, I just enjoyed my two years in grad school um, from, a high, from an intellectual perspective. And the kind of people that you meet, um, it just added to the experience, I think. Hmm. So both different environment, you know, coming, like you said, to cold, snowy New York uh, yes. is a bit different than, than a tropical climate. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so now you're wrapping up your master's. What did you want to do next? Did you want to go immediately to work for a company? Were you leaning more toward going a startup route? What was that next phase in your journey? So I think that's when my Indian gene kicked in. Um, I, I think I went back to the stability and I wanted, um, I wanted a job. Um, I think coming, um, coming from India, I had taken a, a, a loan, a, a, you know, a bank loan in order okay. to be able 
fund my education. So it was important for me not to burden my parents with that financial, uh, you know, uh, debt. So yeah. for me, it was very clear. I had to get a job. I had to pay off my debt. Um, and that's true. You know, everybody thinks, you know, only when you study here, you carry a lot of financial debt. But we do too. Um, we have to pay off loans and um, and in our currency. So sometimes it's much more yeah. um, than, than what, what, what it is here. So, yeah, it was very clear. I needed to get a good paying job and, and start working. And I was excited to do that because I think I was done with the theoretical thing. I wanted to go into <laughs> um, an organization and start to actually do stuff. Yeah, you wanted to see an immediate impact compared to just learning as much as you could. Yeah, so startup wasn't even a thought then. <laughs> it, it was, uh, again, back to let me go to a good company, um, you know, where, where I can get a good salary. Okay, so now you're looking and you're, you're finding that good company. Uh, what sort of role did you take on at the beginning and how did you progress throughout that first step in your career path? Yeah, great question. So I joined IBM hmm. um, and uh, I moved to the Bay Area because, of course, I need my son. Yeah, <laughs> <I'm> like, yep. <laughs> I can't. I did two years of this low, but I can't do it anymore. Um, <laughs> It just worked out. So I joined um, IBM. And I think, um, so my initial role was in quality assurance, uh, quality testing. And I think that was a fantastic way to start. You know, right away, they, you know, it's like giving you the product and asking you to break it. There's no better way to start learning than to do that, right? Yeah. And um, so I did that for a while. And then I got bored because it's like, why do users make such dumb mistakes that I'm sitting and spending hours of my life testing? It did mm -hmm. not make sense, right? Yeah. Maybe there's an easier way for users not even to make those mistakes. And that's where my brain started going. And so I prototyped um, a UI and something which said, hey, look, if you give this to the users, we can reduce our, our testing to like about 50% or 60%. Wow things that we are doing right of course the prototype was horrible i mean it didn't look pretty it was just thrown together whatever yeah. but um you know i mean to their credit they they didn't dismiss me they heard me out and eventually a few years later that actually made it into the product hmm. um but that was that was it you know it was a lot of showing initiative and after that that whole uh, episode i got to lead three products right after that. So it, wow. I just went from, from that to saying, you know, you're going to lead the UI on these three products. So it was fantastic. And that's also an interesting thing that happened, which was I finally figured out my, my path within computer science was still visual. Hmm. So remember how I wanted to do architecture and that was very <laughs> And that did not work out. <laughs> that did not work out, but I said, you know, finally within computer science, when I started doing UI UX, um, the user experience stuff, um, that was it. That was my way of, you know, doing the, my visual, whatever, within the field that I was, um, I was in. Um, so, you know, I had a good corporate career, um, you know, patents, publications, recognized by executives as someone to watch out for, you know, all the traditional things. Yeah that a corporate career sort of demands of you was moving up the ladder. Everything was going well. Um, so I was at IBM for about seven years. Wow. And then um, personally, um, there was a situation in my family. That's life, right? Life happens. Um, and because of that, I chose to take a leave of absence. Um, and eventually I resigned. Okay. Um, so, I think that was a pretty pivotal moment for me in my, um, in my life, in my career journey. Um, so yeah, I think my corporate career sort of was, uh, that was sort of the end of my more traditional corporate career and the beginning of my journey as a social entrepreneur. Okay. And now you, you expressed a little bit earlier that you had this, this real desire to take initiative. And, and we're seeing that throughout that prototype you built, where even if it wasn't a pretty prototype, it was at least functional and it showed how you can improve the process. But that wasn't something you had to build, right? You were getting paid to do something totally different and you did this on your own. Where do you think 
that initiative comes from? It's, wow, you're making me reflect a little bit. Um, I think, I think I've had this uh, uh, fearlessness DNA sort of in me a little bit because I've had this pioneering spirit um, given that I'm the, I was the only uh, girl in my family to come abroad and do, you know, uh, what a grad school. Okay. So I've had, I don't necessarily look always for someone, um, you know, to do, uh, to, to role model. Mm-hmm. I don't mind being that person who puts myself out there and making the mistakes or facing the consequences of that. So I've always had that, um, that sort of um, trait in me. And for the most part, it's worked out. Hmm. Um, I like, I have role models, but I don't necessarily expect to uh, do exactly what they did. It's, you know, that's, I think, ridiculous because they're a different person. I'm a different person. What motivates them very different from uh, what motivates me. There are certain things I can admire in everyone I meet, but eventually I don't really need to see that perfect vision of someone who I want to be exactly like. And that's freed me up to be who I am, you know, Hmm. um, and do things um, in a way that makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, Take, take pieces of your different role models that fit the best for you and kind of glue them together to, to model who you want to become based on who you are. Exactly. Yeah. So now you, you appreciate that. Yeah. Happy to. So now you left that, that job at IBM and mm-hmm. took that leave of absence, ultimately resigned. And you said this was the start of your social entrepreneurship journey. What, yeah. what was it like shifting from such a corporate structured environment to a startup or entrepreneurship in general? Yeah, I think um, I, I don't want to undermine the um, sort of uh, uh, the mind space I was in then because it was very hard, mm-hmm. um, you know, dealing with, um, with the family situation. But yeah. intellectually, I felt like I was not thriving. Intellectually, I felt like I was missing out. Mm-hmm. And so it was partly fueled by that. And what I started off doing was just started, uh, you know, we co-founded a community of uh, uh, women in- engineers here in the Bay Area. Um, and it was very organic, you know, this was the 90s. I'm sorry, this was early 2005, 2006. Meetup wasn't even a platform. Hmm. <laughs> and I remember our first um, meeting or whatever, um, you know, uh, get-, get together. We had to bribe women with wine and chocolate. Wow. And say, please come, you know, we, we're having this uh, cohort of technical women. We just want to talk. We just want to enjoy. We just want to, you know, build a sense of community. Yeah. And we had real estate agents and insurance agents show up. I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> Wine and chocolate it speaks, uh, speaks to everybody. <laughs> but, you know, at the end of three years, uh, there were 900 of us. Wow. And started um, you know very specifically focusing on Asian women because we we knew there was a lot of us here and there's also a cultural aspect uh, about us showing up more visibly right Mm -hmm. so I think we started off with that intent but at the end of it what we found then which was fascinating was um, our meetups had everyone women from all ethnicities and men because the important thing there was technology and what I realized, my aha moment there was technology was meant to be a unifier. So who is this who's creating all these divides between you're good, you're better than me, you can't do this, you can't code, whatever, right? Yeah. It was such a revealing moment to me. Um, and that was fascinating. And while I was doing that, I was also invited to be part of a think tank that focused on urbanization issues in India. Hmm. So all of a sudden, there's Seema um, sitting in a room with the ex-foreign secretary of India and the minister of information and communication and my steering committee members who are, you know, rock stars in the area. And there's Seema Gururaj in the same room. 
And I'm, I'm sitting there going, something's wrong with this. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm in the right room. <laughs> so I remember very clearly, I came back home that evening and I was cooking dinner for my family. And I'm like, how on earth did this happen? Mm-hmm. And I realized, um, you know, a couple of big aha moments for me there was, you know, I was boxing myself as a, a software engineer or a title that somebody else had given me, right? Mm-hmm. So I was seeing myself as Seema, the engineer who's sitting in the room with those ministers. Yeah. Because they had no clue what I'd studied. They had no idea. You know, all they saw was brought, what I brought to the table and they appreciated that. Hmm. So that was like a big, you know, like, um, you know, big moment for me because I started to see myself as more than a title. Hmm. I started to see myself as this person who's strategic, who's creative, who can get things done. And that was, I think, a pivotal moment for me owning the fact that I was actually a social entrepreneur, you know, and not being so diminished about it. Um, so that was wonderful. And, uh, you know, we got a lot accomplished. There was, they also taught me how to create an environment of, of no bias, really. Yeah. Because they didn't ask me, oh, do you have an M- MBA from Stanford? And only then you're qualified to sit in this room and talk. Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't like that. They created an environment of openness where they, they didn't really have to listen to Seema, the software engineer, really, right? But it was beautiful. And what we got, what we accomplished out of that was tremendous. Yeah. So that was uh, an interesting thing. And then... Um, I was invited uh, by this foundation in India to um, to to do something for um, um, for for the kids there, for the youth there. Basically, yeah. they were ninth grade, and these kids Ben are not like you and I. So they come from an underprivileged, socioeconomically poor background. They're kids whose parents, um, you know, are like the vegetable vendors or the rickshaw drivers. So they yeah. come from very poor backgrounds. And they go to these schools which are funded by the government, but they're not really funded. They basically have a roof over their head. Wow. So, so this foundation approached me and they were like, you know, hey, can you do something for these kids? Um, and I was like, yeah, 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 no worries. You know, I know these group of kids from Stanford. They've developed a leadership program and I'll connect them to you. And, you know, they'll come, they'll teach this. It's going to be magic. Yeah. And those Stanford kids were excited that everything was coming together and I was sitting back like preening in my sofa saying, look what, what, um, what magic I created. Yeah. I connected these people and everyone's going to benefit from it. Um, so yeah, so two weeks before they were actually going to fly to Bangalore, this program was in Bangalore. Um, I get a phone call and, you know, the kids basically, they tell me, hey, you know, we can't do it because there's a lot of coursework, exams are coming up and we just can't do it. Wow. So, yeah, so I hack up, I'm sitting on my sofa and I'm like, whoa, okay, a whole bunch of emotions going through my life. Mostly anger. I think that was anger for <laughs> about half an hour. It's like, why couldn't they tell me? Don't they know What's writing on this? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So then it was like, okay, there are two weeks. What do I do? Um, you know, um, there are probably 100 or 200 or 500 reasons why SEMA shouldn't be doing curriculum development, right? Yeah. But there's one good reason to at least try. And those are the 90 or 70 kids were waiting there for something to happen in their yeah. life. So I did it. I sat, I wrote the curriculum, designed the curriculum, figured out how that should be taught. And long story short, that was shown on Indian television as a model for others to follow. Wow. So foundation supremely happy with me. They're like, whoa, success metrics, check, 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 check. Yeah. Right? And then, um, yeah, and then I very casually on a phone call, they say, hey, you know, Seema, actually the kids are getting disciplined. I got this call from the foundation and, you know, we were doing our regular checks, was celebrating because the success metrics was off the chart. Like <laughs> they couldn't even believe what just happened. Yeah. 
And uh, very casually, they dropped it in that, you know, the kids were actually being disciplined. Um, and in, this, in India, disciplining has a, a very physical component to it. Um, and, and that just broke my heart because um, while we had focused all our efforts on really helping the kids thrive, and what had happened as a result of that was they started becoming curious. Hmm. And the curiosity manifested itself as asking questions to the teachers. The teachers saw that as them being um, rebellious. They're hmm. not used to the you know, 70 kids or whatever asking them questions. They were seeing it as defying authority. And that is what prompted that disciplining measure. Hmm. And for me, that was a great lesson which I carry even in my gender equity work today is that the context is very, very important. It's not just about the kids or, you know, in my case, when I do gender equity work, the women, it's also about the context, uh, understanding the context in which you're placing them and in which you're offering all these solutions. So that was a very um, hard way to learn that lesson. But of course, after that, we worked with the teachers as well and we, we, we corrected it, but it was a huge learning. Yeah, definitely a an unintended consequence in a way. Yeah, absolutely. So then your your work with this foundation sort of wraps up. Uh, what was that next step in your journey as we sort of work toward where we're at today? Yeah, that was an interesting um, experience because at that time, I'd actually applied back into the corporate world doing what I used to do, UI, UX, and I'd also applied to the Anita Borg Institute um, to, you know, potentially run the Grace Hopper celebration. Um, and, and I got both jobs. So I was, um, so of course, what is Seema going to do? She took the path less traveled. So <laughs> I, I accepted the job at Anita Borg. And I remember the conversation with my mom and my mom going ballistic. She's like, what? why you have an engineering degree and you're leaving a salary of XXX dollars mm -hmm. to go to a nonprofit? Are you sure? And I was like, yeah, you know, I think I'm sure because I want to do, do something that creates an impact in this world. And this job is going to give me that. Yeah. Now, good news is if it doesn't work out for whatever reason, I know that I have the ability to go back doing what I used to do in the corporate world. That's so, true. you know, what, what I, let me, let me go for it. Yeah. And so that go for it lasted about five years. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, I did that for about uh, five years. And um, um, during my tenure, we got the distinction of being the largest conference for women technologists in the world. I approached it from a very design thinking mindset because that was my training. I sort of had adopted that. First of all, I think subconsciously and then consciously um, when I figured out that's what I was doing. Uh, but um, yeah, I think I was very proud of the fact that um, the first, when I joined this and I went into a party and everyone was like, oh, what are you doing, Seema? And, and I said, oh, you know, I'm going to run this conference called whatever. And they're like, yeah. grasshopper? Like, what? Why? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Yeah. And then by the end of five years, the husbands were coming to me and saying, you know, oh, you know, we went to the Grace Hopper conference to recruit women uh, for our organizations. And I was like, huh, huh. I think I did my job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's, it's interesting, Seema, because you've sort of become this community builder, whether it's that first, that first meetup without, you know, meetups existing, really, that first meetup that you created that absolutely exploded, then sitting on in this think tank where you were essentially brought in among some high players because you are a high player and now building this just massive, massive conference you're consistently just building communities and bringing people in. And now after the experience you had with the foundation, you're doing so while understanding that broader context that you're operating in. Yeah. I think that's a great way to sort of um, um, highlight something that totally motivates me. I think uh, bringing people together comes very naturally to me. It comes, um, I just believe that, you know, Together, we can create something bigger. 
and the impact that we can have is just much more than trying to everyone doing their own thing in a silo and feeling so um you know protective and possessive about their idea and and their thing i've just seen magic happen when when you have an transparency and openness to learning and and building something together with with like-minded people definitely 1 plus 1 equals 3 yeah <laughs> so so you spent you know 5 years with with the Grace Hopper Institute uh, or working on the Grace Hopper event excuse me and so what are you working on now because that's not you know that was five that was a few years ago what are you working on now what's been your your most lace most recent project yeah so this is when i was doing the conference i think that was when a lot of these organizations started releasing the diversity stats and it was mind boggling right like in all these companies there were only 5% of them that were women and for me visually i was going wait a minute i see physically 10000 women or 8000 women what do you mean you can't find talented women to recruit yeah. so it was a huge disconnect in my brain so that became my next challenge was to actually go into an organization and figure out what's going on with gender equity so i did that briefly um to to you know to work in a corporate organization but then i realized that for me uh um, the best way to create impact and given the problem that i wanted to solve very specifically within in this area it would serve me well to start my own company and do it that way so that's sort of why i started square circle um in the early uh, avatar of my company i focused very specifically on the problem of disability for women um and we were working diligently towards that um you know about a year or two into it uh, ben i sort of realized that from a business model perspective it was not quite working out hmm. so earlier this year in fact was when um i made the decision difficult decision to pivot and i call it difficult because you know you're at that point when you're pivoting you're like okay do you shut it down do you pivot do you continue to be optimistic do you be realistic there's so many things that goes into thinking about if you want to pivot or not Yeah but I'm happy to say you know in the current avatar of square circle what we've done is we've focused on focusing on this idea of belonging redesigning belonging within an organization so very simply put you know while diversity means representation inclusion means yeah you're in the room but belonging really means are you accepted are you valued and can you thrive in that organization wow so while it feels like a very abstract um expression of of what what organizations want to accomplish what we've done is we've made that very real um, very practical very data oriented and um, in fact we have um, uh, we're working on filing provisional patents on our work so wow. we've made it real we we know that we can bring about that change in any organization in any sector basically Awesome. And so now as we start to to pivot to the second half of the show speaking of pivots naturally. Um I kind of want to zero in for this first question on two things that you mentioned before we hopped on this call. And if you could give us so the the traditional question is what are some of the key takeaways from your career or projects? Uh but here I want to kind of focus in, can you give us your quick sort of distilled down versions of how you can build a business in both a global environment and a local environment and then how do you fund a mission based company in particular yeah good question um so when i started of course i started first in the us all my market research everything was based on what worked here um and then um you know it was a it was a brief vacation that i went to in india i mean uh, my family still there so we went there and when i was telling them what i was working on the interest that i got was unprecedented i was like wow really okay so i had to take that feeling or or that interest from obviously a biased set of people who know me right and translate that to what that market needed and it's very different i had to be very aware of how culturally um you know different things like how who would pay for these services 
while here a lot of us as individuals are empowered and we take ownership of our career, there it's still a little dependent on the organization to help them develop as leaders. Yeah. So it's all these little nuances that led us to almost create a, a parallel sort of um, offering of Square Circle in India. Hmm. And um, and doing even doing business there, it's, um, you know, I mean, I, I, be, I, I think a little bit of that is there here too. Like, who do you talk to? How do you talk to? What do you pitch? Um, all that is a little, uh, it's there too. But I think there, a lot of the decision making is very um, um, a committee oriented. Um, and so, you know, you can't step back and think that once you've convinced one person, it's a done deal. It's yeah. not. <laughs> There's like, I think, multiple people that you need to talk to. And it works a lot on relationship. Definitely. So they very easily give opportunities to people they know. Um, then, you know, here it's a little bit more I found uh, um, open in terms of if you're a new company, like a startup wanting to um, pitch something, they're at least open to hearing you out. Yeah. So it's very relationship driven. Got it. Okay. So now hopping on to question number two, what is the one piece of advice that you would give your 20 year old self? Ooh. I don't know. So part of me is like everything that 20 year old self did led to the SEMA that I am now. Mm-hmm. So would I really change anything? It's like, you know, you know, that movie where you play, right? Um, if you go down this path, this is who you become. If you go down that path, I might have become a completely different SEMA. Yeah. So I don't really regret anything that happened. But if I were pushed to sort of tell that SEMA something, I think I would ask her to not feel, um, to be a little bit more brave in, in going after choices or opportunities that were not really, um, uh, you know, vanilla. And what I mean by that is that was not really offered in the confines of the college of the university or something and just be more brave in, in, in finding those opportunities outside um, and not relying so much on the system and what that gave, gave you uh, as, a, as a formula for, for you to follow. Bravery and finding your own path. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, now, third, Seema, what is one book or resource that has helped you along in your journey? Good question. I think, uh, too, um, the book that's helped me um, is this book called Quiet by Susan Cain. I don't know if you've read that. I have not. Great. So it talks a lot about introverts and, and how they're being um, in society and workplace and so on. And the reason why that resonated with me is I'm not, I'm not that much of an introvert, but I think uh, being an immigrant, the muscle that I've had is always adapting, right? I don't know if you've had friends with Indian names and we even change our names so that Americans can pronounce our names, right? Yeah. Um, we, we learn our, your culture so that we integrate really well. So we belong. We try as much as possible to be like you. Yeah. Um, and, and so I felt myself going down that path of adapting, adapting, adapting to the point where I was like, okay, who is the real Seema? What, what's going on here? And when is it ideal? Like, when do I stop feeling like I'm enough? Um, and so that led me to sort of, you know, all these things and reading this book. And what this gave me um, was the ability to own my path, um, no, and 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 uh, sometimes my path is is that of a quiet strength. I don't have to be loud in order to get my point across. Mm-hmm. I can be me, and this gave me the confidence to sort of own that quietness in me and own that person that I am in a way that makes sense and feels authentic to me. Love it. From a business perspective. Um, I think I've had this design thinking mindset, which has all, all become, you know, sort of a right-hand thing for me. Yeah. And I recommend people sort of look through that because, um, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're often thrown a lot of things like, hey, Seema, do you know this company exists that does the exact same thing? Or have you met that person? They're doing this, they're doing that. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy as an entrepreneur, especially, it's a, you know, it's a lonely journey. We all know that. But when you're in that mind space, it's very easy to get, 
carried away and it's very easy to say, oh my God, yeah, they're doing exactly the same thing, whatever. But what I found is with this design thinking mindset and having a solid business plan is that I, I thrive when somebody says, hey, you have a competitor. I'm like, wow, tell me more. Yeah. So for me, my brain, it does two things. It either, I very quickly figure out my differentiators so it reinforces what I'm doing mm-hmm. or it helps me become more creative and say that, oh, okay, if they're doing that, what can I do knowing that they do that? What can I do better? Yeah. Uh, or how can I be, how can I creatively figure this out? So I enjoy that. And I think it's that mindset that's helped me last and helped me be resilient in, you know, when I come across all these things that are thrown at me. Definitely. Now, last but not least, Seema, where can people learn more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on LinkedIn, of course. Uh, Feel free to connect with me there. Or um, you can see, you can learn more about the work I do and all of us um, working towards this movement of, of redesigning belonging in the workplace at www.squarecircleglobal.com. Awesome. Seema Gururaj, an award-winning social entrepreneur, a former um, Fortune 100 company member, consultant. She's also co-author of a recently published Amplify Expert Insights on Growing Your Presence, Influences, and Recognition in the Tech industry. Seema, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Ben. And that does it for our show with Seema Garuraj. Now, a couple different things that we heard throughout Seema's story stuck out to me. Uh, And one of the most important ones is this idea of taking initiative. Now, Seema expressed this in a few different ways. First was creating that first sort of rough uh, user interface and this prototype so that she could go to her company and say, hey, the work that I'm doing, we don't need to do. We can actually just change this and you'll need half of my time that you currently do. And that initiative has popped up multiple times throughout her story. And we've even heard it throughout different episodes of the show. The fact that you have to really seize and take things that extra step in order to have the most impact and move in the direction that you want to go with your career. It's also important to note that Seema didn't just say, hey, there's this problem, someone fix it. She took the extra step and she, again, took that initiative to come up with a solution, and that sort of fast-tracked her career development and ultimately led her to more positions that better fit fit her interests. This concept of understanding the context was also really valuable to hear. Because in Seema's experience, she tried to create uh, this curriculum that made students curious, but she didn't have as much insight into the context that those students were operating in and what those teachers were used to. So the teachers didn't know how to handle their students' curiosity and instead thought it was acting out or thought it was rebellious behavior. And so that big lesson stuck with Seema and she continues to leverage that in her work today. You can't just walk into a room and assume that how you do things is always going to work. You have to understand the overarching context that you're working within, both culturally, you know, solely in those circumstances. You have to understand the operating, the environment you're operating in, in order to have the best impact. Phrasing wasn't great there, but you get what I'm saying. All right, that does it for this week's show. From Taste for Tenacity, show number 34, this is Ben Trella. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 